and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane, and today we've got an interview with uh, Brian Gaynor, Vice President of Innovation for Legends. Brian, welcome to Front Office Features. Thanks for having me, Rob. Looking forward to this. No, it's a, our pleasure, our pleasure. So I want to talk, I always kind of start these things off as like, tell me your, I'm not a comic book guy, but the term origin story is one of these things that just kind of resonates with me. Like, where the hell did you start? How did it go? Where did you, like, how did this all begin? Because I have a bunch of questions, but I want to kind of give you, like, get, have you give us, like, a 30,000 overview, uh, overview of how your career has started and where you're at now. Sure thing. So my career started on the wonderful campus of the University of Florida. Um, as a freshman student, every morning I walked from my dorm past the Swamp Football Stadium to class. Jump, jump. Go Gators. That's right. And, hey, Al um, Horford, Al Horford, big Gator, right? Back-to-back -back national there. titles. I was there when Horford was on the team. Horford, Joaquin Noah, we had an incredible Gators basketball team. I was just listening to a great fan. podcast uh, about that, and Al was asked if back-to-back -back national championships would ever happen again. And he says, yes, but it'll be totally different. It won't be like the same guys doing it, but there'll be a bunch. He thinks that'll happen again. Just not in the way that, you know, Al and Joakim and that whole team was assembled. Yeah, with the way NIL is changing things, I think that's exactly right. But those guys were amazing. They were humble, very humble at the time. So it's been so cool to see him, Corey Brewer, Joakim have incredible careers in the NBA. And the fact that he's still playing 20 years later. He's is, starting is, a big part of our yeah. team, right? Like, he's yeah. gigantic. Yeah, so so that was back in 2001, um, and I knew I wanted to get involved in sports, and so I immediately went into the, the um, marketing sports info department and started volunteering there on all ga uh, Gator game days for my four years, basically working behind the scenes, doing whatever it took, taking uh, helping at press conferences, doing notes, interviews, writing articles, and um, that's really where I kind of found my passion for working in sports. Um, through that, met a lot of amazing people, helped me get an internship with the Miami Dolphins my sophomore year, uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks my junior and senior year, worked at the Orange Bowl, uh, interned at the Minnesota Wild. So I really kind of knew during that time I really wanted to work in sports. And then um, I, I learned from our athletic department about some graduate programs to like, con uh, continue my career. And that's where I found Ohio University, which has the what I claim to be the number one sports program in the world. So I set my sights on going there to really uh, develop a career in sports marketing. Which Didn't you get two masters? So I got two masters, yeah, an MBA and a master's in sports in two years at Ohio. So here's a question that I get a lot from our listeners. And I'm a, I just got a bachelor's, right? Chris is a bachelor's guy. And I get the question a lot, should I get a master's or not, right? You don't only have one, you have two, right? You seem like the expert in this field. What made you want to go get a master's and what advice do you give to recent college grads who are questioning the same thing? Yeah, for me, I really wanted to go because uh, I was really serious about a career and I felt like getting that master's early would allow me to think differently and just kind of knock it out and focus on a career. What I didn't know was the power of the Ohio University uh, alumni network and family. It's one that all my friends that work in sports all are through Ohio. It's helped me uh, get careers. And I think if I was a young person, I knew the power of going to some of these select grad programs that have incredible networks. It's a game changer. It's the best decision I made in my career is going for two years 
just just set me up for life with uh, with a lot of connections I never would have had. So is that one of the? Would you suggest when evaluating grad programs is like talk through what the network of past graduates are or alums are? Yeah, yeah, and what experiences you can get through it, what real time life experiences, and then cost. I think everyone has to evaluate what's my investment going to be, and then uh, just knowing you don't make a lot of money starting off in sports, but there's a lot of programs right now where you can get scholarships and other ways to get your your uh, your um, master's funded for. So I think if you can find the right program for you, it, it can be a game changer. And I know for me, it was like the Ohio program has done like wonders for me over the past 15 years. So give me an example of somebody that whether uh, that had a big impact in your career that came from Ohio University and some of those experiences that you had in that master's program. Yeah, sure thing. So my first job out, out of school at GMR was an alumni named Mike Boykin and took a chance on me and gave me an opportunity down in Charlotte. After I left GMR, I joined a company working alongside a former classmate of mine, Dan McGalla, who I've had the great fortune of working with the last 10 years. And now as part of Legends, we've got lots of Ohio podcasts that I get a chance to work with. So I feel like the alumni and fellow classmates are ones that I've just worked with over the past 15 years. And again, it's been and a game changer in a lot of ways for me. So Dan McGalla, that's a name I will never forget. Um, I feel like I know the man, but I probably have only met him once, like hand to hand. He, in my minor, I was, you know, spent 17 years in minor league baseball, and he always emceed the minor league baseball promotional seminar. Yeah. And God, I thought Dan McGalla was a god, right? Like he's always up there talking. I'm a young guy, not knowing anything about sports or business or anything. I was like, holy cow, this Dan McGalla guy, he knows everything. And I think I met him once in like the little van that takes you to the, from the uh, hotel to the airport. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I met him there. But Dan McGalla will be a name that I will forever remember uh, because of all the years that I went to the minor league baseball promotional seminar and he was the MC. He's a legend, and he's like one legend. of the most down-to-earth, personal guys. I'll never forget when I traveled to Australia for the first time with Dan. He's a legend in Australia. He he has he, he had naming rights <laughs> of the TD Garden one for one day back in the day when they were trying to resell it. He's done a lot of incredible things, but he's like a just a really genuine person. So that's amazing. You know, a lot of great people come from minor league baseball. The thing I always remember is he sold the name. I got the right. I don't know. The, he sold 7-Eleven, the convenience store, <laughs> the time, the start time of the games, right? So then like all the White Sox games started at 7 p.m., 7-11 p.m. Yeah, and he did that while he was in grad school with me in class. He woke up one morning, looked over at the clock, saw 7-Eleven, and that's what he took to the White Sox to get that deal done, a million-dollar you know, partnership. Uh, incredible, 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 incredible. That's uh, one of the things I'll always remember about Dan. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Dan McGalla, legend. Uh, write that down. <laughs> um, so from there, um, before I went to OU, I worked in uh, NFL Europe in Germany for a year um, as a way to get some international experience and then flew straight to Athens for grad school. Did that for two years and then we'll say um, Athens, Athens, Ohio, not you know Athens, Greece. Uh, Athens, Greece, or uh, <laughs> yeah, Athens, Ohio, which is the, one of the greatest college towns out there. All right, um, the great place. Um, so yeah, did that. Then went to work at GMR Marketing in Charlotte and Milwaukee for eight years, advising big, big brands around sports sponsorships. Then ventured to For- Forefront or PCG in Chicago and. Took that experience and advised a lot of teams and leagues all over the world. 
So helping them with new creative ways to generate revenue, grow their fan base, transform the organization. And then just last year, got acquired by Legend. So I've been part of the Legend family for the past 15 months. Again, getting to work for an incredible company advising big properties, big organizations around the world on new creative ways to make money. Um, and so it's been kind of a fun journey. So one of the things that we talk about a lot is, and you're a shining experience of this, right? You were on the team side, right? You've, you you had experience uh, with the Dolphins and the Bucks and the Minnesota Wild, as you, as you talked about. And I'll even say NFL Europe. But also, like, there is more to sports than just the jerseys, right? You are walking experience. You're, you're, you are that, right? And you've had the opportunity to be on the consulting side um, and the agency side and such. How does that work? Tell us about your experience there. What's the difference from working on the team side to the consulting side? Um, there's a lot of different ways to get into sports, not just, you know, core yeah. four teams. I will. Um, that's a great question. I think the thing I've loved about it is the diversity of getting to work with a lot of different properties and you can take the best and worst of all of them and really become well-rounded in terms of how you think and how you problem solve versus if you work at one team, a lot of times you're only as good as your knowledge of your own organization, what's going on in the city and what's going on in your league. So I think anytime you can kind of diversify your background, get different perspectives from different experiences, it just makes you that much more unique. The biggest difference for me working on the team side versus working for an agency is um, really learn how to really think like a fan and knowing that not all fans are equals. What matters to an eight-year-old is different than a 35-year-old with kids versus a 55-year-old, I think having that diverse perspective of not only being able to think like a team, but then also think like a brand or a fan is really powerful. Cause a lot of times you got to come up with these win, win, win um, opportunities. So I love my team experience, but now with kids and enjoying the time, taking them to practice, I've also loved kind of working in a non team environment, still working in sports, but getting to advise many without having to work a lot of game nights. So how's the advisory works, right? So you're the VP of innovation, like walk me through a day in the life. Um, what, like, how, how are you advising? What are you innovating? Like, how does, how does you and your team work together with the, with the teams? So a lot of times teams and organizations are coming to us with one of their biggest challenges that they need help with and they have the, the, the aptitude to do it. A lot of times they don't have the time. And so that big challenge may be, hey, I need help selling this jersey patch, or hey, I need help figuring out how do I grow my brand and fan base internationally in key international markets. Or it may be, hey, right now ticket sales are not going well. We need to come up with new creative ways to get butts in seats. And so again, um, the, I have a lot of you access to a lot of organizations, so I can go to that team with a solution that's worked other, other places, or we can devote 80% of our time helping a team solve their biggest problems. So right now I, I, I typically work across about 15 to 20 different partners and it ranges from supporting a team working on selling LA 28 to working with Cirque du Soleil to helping the USFL um, to working with Space Center Houston, a wide variety of sports and non-sports projects. They're all different, but they're all the same. Everyone's looking for what are new creative ways we can make money, grow our fan base, uh, uh, position our organization in a new way. And so it's, challenging yet fun every day is a different day and uh you got to always bring your a game but um it's a great balance of a lot of different challenges at one time so in your role you're always kind of looking forward to right like it's always about what is next and what what can 
where can we grow? You know, there's a white space, if you will, to use a corporate buzzword uh, in this area. In your opinion, in the next five years, 10 years, where where do you think that white space is, whether it's new sports like pickleball or media rights and how that landscape is changing? Talk to me about uh, where you see kind of the sports world going forward. Um, there's a couple of exciting opportunities I see. One is just international. It's a lot more real now. I'm on calls with three, four, five different German or Euro- European football clubs per week trying to figure out how they grab it, um, grow in the U.S., same vice versa. U.S. teams and leagues trying to figure out where do we grow our fan base and revenues internationally. That's one really exciting one. Two is the areas around stadiums. So a lot of cases, a lot of teams have maximized what they can do with revenue in the stadium. So we're now building out entertainment districts and looking for additional ways we can kind of own the fan journey or create new experiences throughout the year. And then three is like I watch my own kids who are 9 and 11 who play Roblox and everything's interactive. I, there's still so much opportunity to reach and engage the 99% of fans that don't come to games. That right. could be through social. That could be through gaming, that could be through uh, cross collaborations with music and art and fashion. But I think um, going out and figuring out ways to help teams reach these potential fans that don't go to every game, but they could still think a team is really cool and want to buy their gear or go to a game in the future. So those are three of, I think, the most exciting ones um, that I'm kind of focused on these days. The entertainment district, maybe this is just in my brain because I've, uh, in my career, I've built three, uh, I didn't build them. I didn't swing the hammer or uh, I was a part of three ballpark builds in Omaha, Scranton and uh, Worcester Um, and the district around it. Seeing the change about how municipalities think about arenas and ballparks and stadiums and such. It's no longer the times of here's a bunch of money, pay us a dollar lease for, you know, 50 years and, you know, we're good. There's just that money that that's politically in, uh, unfeasible. It, it just doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. Um, th- those monies are dried up. So you've got to be able to build a district and show economic growth. Can you dive a little bit deeper into how you have, how you have done that? What you think um, is the best driver for that? Um, and what does that mean? Like, how do you work with um, not only the team, but also uh, the the developers and the contractors and stuff like how does that all work and mesh together because that's gigantic yeah again these are this is what i love about sports is doing things that haven't been done one of my favorite projects i've gotten to work on is working with the green bay packers has built something called title town and it's really uh, making lambo the center of the community in a lot of ways but making it a 365 destination where they built out playgrounds they've got they partner with microsoft to build out a tech incubator We've got a brewery there where we've got a, a, a sledding hill and skating rink. And so a lot of it is helping teams figure out what are additional ways that we can make the stadium and the area around it like a true um, community play, a way that the community can benefit throughout the entire year. And so having the opportunity to work with them to figure out what are strategies to get additional brands to invest in the area and think through sustainability and additional ways we can give back to the community that's what I think is cool is the way teams have really evolved to become like true stewards of the community and how these buildings now are, you know, more open to the public hosting community events and health and wellness 
So I'm excited just to work on future projects like that because I don't know, they have a little bit more purpose uh, than just helping a team generate some additional money. Right. And it's also like, you just go look at some of the things that are in the news now, right? Like the Oakland A's and they're, what they're trying to do in Oakland, who knows, or in Vegas, right? Like it's about, it's not really even about the ballpark anymore. It's about the surrounding development uh, that's being created. You look at the, uh, the Los Angeles angels, right? They're talking about that yeah. same thing and that's a mess, but like, it's not about the ballpark, right? It's about everything that's going around the Tennessee Titans, the same thing, uh, building uh, that stadium, the, uh, Philadelphia 76ers are doing, trying to do the same thing uh, mm -hmm. in Philly, right? So that part of the business is extraordinarily um, interesting and growing. And, um, you know, it's just such a new thought process than, I don't know, take, go back a ways, right? You build a stadium and you just put a whole bunch of parking lots around it. Yeah. And like, we're good. Right. Like yeah. that's just not how it works anymore. Yeah. If anyone has a chance to go to Dallas and see our headquarters at the star, the Cowboys practice facility, you know, we've got areas where people can come out and watch, do watch parties. We've got a Miller Lite lighthouse. You can do tours. We host high school football. Like it is amazing kind of what teams are doing, building around the stadium or in new areas and the Cubs and many others have kind of nailed it. So yeah, kind of an exciting area of working in sports right now. Totally. So can we talk a little bit about international too? I find international now, I, you know, working with the Celtics international is now like a thing I am concerned about. Like I, I yeah. think about too now, not so much when I was working for the Worcester Red Sox, right? Um, no offense to the guys in Worcester. You just, you know, focus on the people that are in Worcester, right? Um, but international now is huge. And as U.S. teams try to grow, um, internationally and say in Europe or in China or in Asia or whatever, wherever that it is, how do you advise them to be authentic? Right. Cause I also think one of the things I learned in minor league baseball is they put together uh, a program um, where, you know, to uh, target, uh, you know, uh, Hispanics and Latinos uh, to come in there uh, and their Copa La Diversion. And they did a really good job of that in my opinion, because they were authentic. It just wasn't like, I don't know, Taco Tuesday and Dollar Coronas, yeah. right? Like you've got to be authentic in that way. How have you advised people when you're entering different markets to be authentic? And what are some of the roadblocks that you, or challenges, I should say, um, that you see when going and, and focusing more internationally? Yeah, that's a great question. One that I think a lot of teams are still trying to figure out. Um, the, the thing I agree I love about Copa or when we helped the Cavs do their first international deal um, in Australia seven years ago is you really got to do your homework. You got to really understand what are the unique connection points or stories that our, our organization has to a market? What international markets have an alignment of fans and potential customers and shared values and shared stories that, that shared connection. So when we helped the Cavs do their first ever um, uh, deal. We built this platform around Cavs Australia Day, where we knew at the time we had two players on the roster. We were the only team that had two players from Australia, Matthew Delavidova and Kyrie Irving. And so that allowed us to at least look at that market and say, how do we go own that market and do something different for the Cavs while everyone else chases China and India and others? And we were able to develop a really authentic platform. But we focused on how do we stand for something What's our story? What's a fun risk we can take? And how do we create some ownable moments in time? And I think that allowed us to 
break through in a big way. And then we were committed to how do we have a sustainable presence there? You can't just show up one day, play a game, and then leave and expect people to become fans. But I give the Cavs a lot of strategy. There was a, a real focus on this is a long-term play to raise the profile of the city of Cleveland, to grow our fan base, to really kind of do things that a team hasn't done before. And I think the Cavs have been a shining example for a lot of other teams that are now trying to figure out what's my market. The mistake we see a lot of teams make is they just want to be there. They just want a sponsorship. They want something easy to say that they've done it. And uh, I think you're going to find there's a big difference between the ones that are all in and the ones that are just looking for a cash grab. But I think it's um, such an exciting time. When you walk around in Melbourne, Australia, you see people wearing Yankees, NBA hats, wearing the jerseys. There's a, there's a cultural kind of play. And I just think that there's so much opportunity. We just got to we got to just continue to invest in, in some of those markets. And it's exciting just seeing the number of international players in the NBA and the opportunities totally. to, uh, to go much deeper. I was just going to say that too, is like, I think if you look at the NBA statistics, you know, there's uh, like 150 or 140, maybe I'm off a little bit, but uh, international players. And that has just exponentially grown uh, over the last, you know, call it 10 or 15 years um specifically in Europe as well right like people like Luca come uh because of people like Dirk right and yeah. it 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 is uh it is just wild and then that just builds a global game right and i think yeah. maybe i'm um maybe i'm biased but i think the nba has just done a great job of growing the game globally and maybe uh the best at that on um on delivering quality, authentic content around the globe uh, in each of the uh, in each of the continents. Yeah, NBA is amazing. NBA and so- basketball and soccer are just are the true global games. But the NBA of anyone has just nailed the content delivery, the short form storytelling around the international players. And if you stacked up the best five international players against the best American players, I mean, with Giannis, Luca, right. I mean, it's it's remarkable. Um, it- it is total. It is incredibly remarkable, and then the passion that they have, um, you know, across the pond uh, for basketball is just is just kind of is just kind of wild. And uh, yeah. it's uh, I'm learning about it. You know, I've been with the C's for about a year, and uh, it's just kind of crazy uh, to be able to to be able to see that. Yeah. Um. So I I need be mindful of your time. You're a busy guy, um, and uh, we've got all kinds of things to talk about, but with our last call it five minutes or so, um, I want to talk through about advice that you have for people who are just trying to get up, whether they're, um, they're, they're going for their grad, they're just entering, you know, we're recording this, it's the middle of April, um, people are going to be graduating in a month, they're like, oh no, I don't have a job, like, what is your advice on on, on folks whether I'll call it their end part of college, their beginning part of their career, they just want to get started. Like what are some three or four or five, you know, tentpole moments that they need to be aware of and, you know, some advice that you have for them? Yeah, this is one I wish I even had more advice when I was an undergrad, just of like what's out there. So couple one, the most important, I think, is just get as much experience as you can. It could be volunteering at a local marathon. It could be Again, taking notes somewhere, but I think the more perspectives you have from different sports, that's what I look for the most on a resume is what blend of experience they have and 
what's a new dimension they can add to my team? I'm not looking at GPA, but I am looking a lot at, yeah, where have they worked and what makes them unique? Number two is like, what does make you unique? What's your story? Um, have you traveled internationally? Do you have that unique experience? Do you have a unique upbringing? Making sure that that comes through in the interview and when you apply for a job, like we all get the stack of resumes. I look for the people that when I look their name up on Google, they've got a website, they're active on social talking about the industry, things that just kind of make people um, unique. And then um, I really think there's exploring your options, like going to work for one of the main four pro leagues isn't the only option to work in sports. There's yes, you're right. A lot of amazing working ways to work in sports. And you want to focus more on people, like great people that'll give you an opportunity to grow, to learn. And um, I think whether it's on the agency side or outside of sports or a fast growing sport, like you mentioned, pickleball, you just never know. So I think it's just doing your homework and just being thoughtful when you reach out. Like it's so easy to get a hold of people on LinkedIn, Twitter, email, phone. And I think if you're just thoughtful, a lot of people would love to help you out or spend time. It's just, you gotta do more than just like send a standard email. Um, so I, um, I think there's just, it's a really exciting time to enter the sports industry. There's so many ways you can and work in sports without working for a team. Uh, and it's just, uh, you know, just um, focusing on kind of what's the right path for you, knowing that everyone's path is a little bit different. Do something. That's what I hear. I just yeah. I hear you say, do something, right? People want to, you want to see you different experiences, right? Like you want to go see, um, you want to be active, right? Like you got to go out and do. I also think too, I wrote a note, copy and paste equals bad, right? Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I, uh, uh, we play, we play, uh, Chris and I, uh, we play a game called LinkedIn roulette and we got theme music. A listener gave us theme music and we read good link, taking out the names. We read good LinkedIn messages that we receive and bad ones. I love that. And it is, uh, it is so much fun, uh, to do. I don't think I laugh as hard as anything that when, when, when we play LinkedIn roulette, um, it's a, you know, a global global phenomenon that's going on right now. Um, and it's incredible. So um, don't copy and paste. I just got one. We're going to play LinkedIn roulette here soon. Um, and it's, it's, it was bad. Like it was just copy paste. You could tell just copy, paste, yeah. copy, paste, copy, paste. That. that sounds like a fun game to play. LinkedIn roulette. Games. Hey, if you got any good ones, send them my way. Uh, I will give you a shout out the next time we do play LinkedIn roulette. Um, and uh and it's I people I get notes. People learn more about the LinkedIn <laughs> about what not to do uh, through LinkedIn Roulette than anything else. So well, that's a great some of it, right? There's learning not what not to do um, in a lot of respects, but that's hilarious. Well, Brian, um, you got meetings to go to. I probably sure I have meetings to go to. Um, I just want to say uh, a sincere thank you. Um, also, a shout out to Allie for um, connecting us. This is how this works, uh, Ohio U. And um, uh, just appreciate uh, appreciate your time. Um, tell Dan McGalla that there was a guy named Rob Crane in his uh, listening in the minor league baseball promotional seminars for about a decade. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, I learned a great deal from him. So next time you uh, you see him in the hallways, uh, tell him I said uh, hello, though he has no earthly idea who the hell I am. I'm going to go send a message to him right now. I mean, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. This has been awesome. I've really enjoyed it and uh, 
would love to help out in the future. But yeah, thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, I'm gonna go play some LinkedIn roulette. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awesome. Sounds awesome. Thanks, Brian. We'll see you. All right. Thanks, Rob. Have a good one. You too.